from morning until night. I didn't take a day off for seven years when I started my first companies, not a single day. I would wake up at six in the morning and work until one o'clock at night. And then I would sleep for four hours, get up, take a shower, do, do it again and work from six in the morning. I almost didn't sleep at all for that time. And I just hustled. This is probably the biggest key of how I went from 150,000 in sales because I was doing everything when I started anti-establishment. So like I was packing the boxes, I was shipping the orders, I was doing everything in the beginning, of course. I have a rule that I only do one of three things. I do things that are gonna make my company a lot of money. I do things that I love to do, or I do things that I must do myself. So if there's a client call, like I've been reaching out to SpaceX to get their sales rights on their merchandise, I do that. I'm not gonna have one of my employees try and get in touch with the right person at SpaceX. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Welcome to the Business Brilliance Podcast, where every week we talk to business owners and entrepreneurs and get to know their business brilliance and share it with you. I am your host, Michael Santanato, and I'm a business owner and entrepreneur myself, and I just love talking business. Not like big corporate conglomerate business, but real grassroots, everyday people business. So if you're like me and you want to know what makes business owners successful and brilliant, and you love the journey of the entrepreneur from nothing to something, then join us every week and share it with a friend as we peel back the brilliance and implement it in our life and business. Now let's get on with the episode. Welcome everyone to the Business Brilliance Podcast. My oh my, we have a doozy for you here today. We've got Andrea Lake on the show. Now listen, you might not know Andrea Lake, but she, in my opinion, is an absolute legend when it comes to business. Not just business, but spirituality in business. And we're going to get into that. So listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. She is the founder of the Power Chick Mafia and many other companies such as Sticker Junkie, Yoga Junkie, Teacher, which teaches you how to build a million-dollar t-shirt business from scratch. She's also the creator of an incubator in L.A. called the Winston House, and she was also the CEO of Delinquent Distribution, which at one point had the rights to major, major mega online gaming brands such as Minecraft, World of Warcraft, and more. She's got a phenomenal story. We're so lucky and blessed to have time with her today. And, you know, for me, this is a real treat because she is what is called an Aber in my community, in the community of spiritual manifestation, business, practical, pragmatic, spiritual people. And she'll help us break down what that means exactly before we get into it. She has been in the hot seat for the Abraham Hicks events, the most in the world, okay? And again, she's going to tell us what that means. But if you're an Abraham Hicks fan, you're going to know what that means right off the bat. She's been in the pot, the hot seat for the most out of anyone ever on the planet. She's all over YouTube if you listen to Abraham Hicks. So without further ado, Andrea Lake, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. So let's get into it. So you actually were also on The Apprentice. I was. <laughs> Where do you want to start? I mean, you have two great dogs named Rico and Lola. I do. I do. Yeah. They're the best. Yes. Yes. They went hiking this morning, so they're very tired. So hopefully they will not start barking while we're on. Rico and Lola, like the Copa, Copa Cabana. (laughs) 
Beauty. Mm -hmm. And you love, you love labs as well. I do. I do. I've had all different kinds of dogs. I've had nine dogs over the years. And I just got a painting done with all of them sitting around a campfire in a cartoon style. Right. It's so cute. <laughs> That's amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I want to talk, you know, the spiritual stuff. I want to talk Abraham Hicks and manifesting. But then you have so many years of like experience, like because you started at 18, right? Or 14. 18. 18 was your first business. Mm -hmm. So my first company was called Rhythm Sticks, and it's those toys, you know, those toys where you hold one stick in each hand and you use the center one to throw it around? I remember those. It's a juggling toy company. I remember those, by the way, those sticks. One of my cousins brought them home and there was like taped around and you flip them up in the air and that was fun. So that was your first business. Mm -hmm. And I also did them on fire uh, as a fire dancer to like pay the bills <laughs> because I would get... $250 to $500 per rave or event that I would throw at. Um, and then I got a bigger gig. I got to actually throw with Jane's Addiction, which was my biggest thing. It was right in between the transition of them doing Jane's Addiction and Porno for Pyros. And Perry Farrell and Stephen Perkins put together the Enit Festival, which I got to throw at, which was completely amazing. That was the biggest gig I ever got. How much did that gig pay you? That I don't remember, like $400 or five. It wasn't the biggest dollar-wise. It was the biggest like life event. I can always say that I threw fire with James Yeah, Kitchen. Yeah. So yeah. cool. It's possible that I am actually one of the best people in the world at those. Are you still good? I actually, I'm still totally passable. Like I'm still really quite good. I mean, it would be impressive to anyone, but I couldn't like compete at it anymore because I don't play very often. Cool. Mm -hmm. And so from there, you got into t-shirts. Is that right? I did because I was manufacturing those toys. And so this is years ago, right? This is in 92 that I started that company. I'm, I'm aging myself right now, but uh, I started that in 92. So like the internet didn't really exist, not in practical applications as a commerce platform, the way that it does today. Mm -hmm. So I was like selling to kite shops and toy stores and head shops. And I was selling at little like mini festivals and concerts. And so I was a baller for an 18 year old, but I was making like $70,000 a year total, which is rad. That's like rad. Don't get me wrong. But that's not like I'm going to be rich. And then I was selling at a festival at Earth Day in Balboa Park in San Diego. And I met a guy that was making a million dollars a year selling t-shirts. And I was like, that is all the money in the world. I am going to go do that. Uh -huh. So then, and my dad had just died. And I was like trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life because it was a very big, you know, transitional period. And I knew that I wanted to start a t-shirt company and I thought about it for like three months, like what could it be? And then I realized I had quit. I was smoking so much weed when I owned the Rhythm Sticks <laughs> store. I think, you know, I was a kid. I was like, whatever, 20 years old by that point. And you're, you're going to concerts. Right, right. And I sell the head shops and Pardon. possible there was occasional trade instead of cash that was going on for the sticks. Sure. So I thought, I thought, well... I'm going to start, I had just quit smoking pot. So it was like maybe 21 or 22 years old. Mm. And I said, I bet if I created a t-shirt company to sell t-shirts to head shops, I would just kill it because all of my competitors are stoners. Mm. And so they're not going to have like the best customer service and all of this stuff. And so I started my first clothing line, which is anti-establishment clothing in 90, whenever that was, <laughs> the late 90s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the first year it did great. We did like 150,000 in sales in the first year. And the second year we did a million in sales. 150,000 the first year and the second year a million. Over a million. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Under this tutelage of this guy. 
Sort of. Like he didn't really, he didn't, he actually didn't help until, until much later. And then he helped me get into chain stores. Cause he was like, you know, when you, when you have a successful t-shirt company, especially, I mean, always everyone wants you to help them, except for that 90% of the people aren't going to do the actual work required to have a successful company. And that's the case in any vertical. And that's why all of these like get rich quick schemes on the internet, they sell so much because people want to like just have a company, bang it out of the park, make a million dollars overnight, but not do any work. And that's not how it actually works. So (laughs) the way that it actually works is that people who have made millions of dollars in your exact vertical can teach you how to make millions of dollars in your exact vertical, but it's going to take time and persistence and effort Mm -hmm. in general. Right. Well, that's refreshing. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, when I went from 150 to a million, I also worked every single day. That's the truth. From morning until night. I didn't take a day off for seven years when I started my first companies, not a single day. I would wake up at six in the morning and work until one o'clock at night. And then I would sleep for four hours, get up, take a shower, do, do it again, and work from six in the morning. I almost didn't sleep at all for that time. Uh-huh. And I just hustled. It's amazing. It's, it's utterly phenomenal. It's not romantic. Like everybody has this romanticized idea. And the part of entrepreneurship that nobody talks about is the unromantic side where you're just like, you just have to send out a bunch of catalogs and make a bunch of cold calls and go meet with the stores and talk to the buyers and negotiate pricing on your t-shirts or whatever company it is that you have. It's all of this stuff that you work for years and years. And then overnight success because it builds a momentum and attraction that carries you. So why for seven years you didn't take a day off? Like I could get three years, I could get four years, maybe even five years, but seven years to not take a single day off. Mm -hmm. Well, number one, I was super passionate about what I was doing. So it didn't feel like work. So there was nothing I would rather do than be working on my companies. Mm -hmm. Number two, I didn't understand delegation. I was making it way harder than I needed to. The mentor that was my lifelong mentor I got when I was 27. He was like, this is ridiculous. You need to, you need to calm down. Like, you need to calm down and go on vacation and enjoy your life. <laughs> yeah, especially since you're making the money, right? I'm guessing you were making the money. You didn't have a lot of staff, so you weren't delegating. So you probably had a lot of cash or profit. So you could afford time off on a vacation, right? Yeah, and I did have I did have a good amount of staff, but then I also had the mindset of like I really, really wanted to set the example for the staff and be like I was always the first one in, I was always the last one out, obviously. There were good positive things about it for sure. And I loved it. It was it was like one of the best times of my whole entire life. Just like working and I didn't care about the money at all when I started out at all because my bills were like nothing. Mm-hmm. One day I woke up, I actually I had a I'm a big road tripper and I had a nineteen ninety something forerunner and it had like 300,000 miles on it but I never thought about it and I woke up and it had a really big engine issue that would have cost more to fix than the car was even worth plus the car I mean it had 300,000 miles on it so I'm like oh I guess I should buy a new car yeah and I looked at my bank account and I had over a million dollars in my bank account and I'm like oh I could just go buy any car I wanted so I went and bought a g-wagon in cash (laughs) I was like oh (laughs) Oh, I guess I can just go buy a car, but I like did not care about the money at all. Wow. It just was, I wasn't doing anything with it. I I was literally just doing business because it was fun. I was not doing it for money. Hmm. Having an idea in my mind and then creating it in reality and then seeing it. Like I remember I was in Manhattan and I was walking down the street and somebody was walking towards me with a t-shirt that I had sold to Hot Topic. Like they did not know me. I, they, like, and that would happen all the time where I would just be some random place and see people wearing my clothes because for a while, Delinquent Distribution was the number one t-shirt vendor 
for years for Hot Topic. At one point, because we had so we had the licensing rights on so many different companies that at one point in the Word t-shirts, and we did original Word t-shirts, uh, we had 40% of their wall space. So when you were going to a Hot Topic, which has over a thousand locations, and you would see all those funny joke t-shirts on the wall, 40% of them were ours. <laughs> so that company was, that was like later, that was after anti-establishment. I started delinquent distribution, and then that was doing just millions and millions and millions of dollars a year in sales. Amazing. There was a store back in the 90s where probably in Toronto, that would be the place to get funky, cool t-shirts like that. It was called the It Store, and it was in Yorkdale Mall. And they had all kinds of cool stuff. Guaranteed they had your t-shirts. I'm sure they did. <laughs> it sounds right. You know, I was I was like a teen at the time, but they had like little fart pills that, you know, like you could buy a little green pill and it was like a fart pill and like Ooh. funny alarm clocks and Simpsons, you know, memorabilia and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. at that age, you're in your early 20s. How do you land this huge deal with this huge chain store? I had actually started anti-establishment clothing, which was an offensive t-shirt company specifically in mind to sell to Hot Topic. I actually catered it specifically towards these types of shirts are in Hot Topic because I knew that if I sold to them, I would have like made it. And because our average sale to mom and pop stores, which is a one-off location store, and we had like thousands of them all over the country, which is why we did a million dollars a year in sales was $450. That was our average order. But to Hot Topic, the average order I knew would be about $20,000 per design. So if I had five designs with them that they reordered, that was $100,000 in sales. That's what I thought it was. It's actually was way more than that. It was $60,000 per, but I thought it was 20. So I was trying to like specifically make shirts that would sell in there. So I kept sending them merchandise, sending them merchandise, calling them, getting the buyers on the phone, emailing the buyers. They're like, we like your stuff. We're going to order from you. But they never ordered. They never ordered, never ordered, never ordered. And then that guy who is selling a million dollars worth of t-shirts a year, his name's Justin. He's a very good guy. He's a super close friend of mine to this day. Hand walked my shirts in, in one of his meetings, which was crazy because he had a huge company called Beat Freaks. He's like, hey, you keep telling this chick that you're going to buy shirts from her, but you're not buying them from her. And I, which is like mind blowing that he did that. And then the next day after that happened, the buyers went to a Blink-182 show in San Diego. And I was friends because Blink-182 was a small band that got really big, really fast. And Justin and I were friends with the like lead singer's cousin and they had grown up as brothers, basically. Like they grew up in the same house. (laughs) So his cousin would come over and get like bags of stuff from us. That day he came over and I gave him like a bag of anti-establishment clothing and I gave him like five or seven each of every single sticker that we had, which was, we had a hundred different slogans. So it's like 700 stickers or a thousand stickers. I can't remember how many I gave him. I gave him a lot of stickers. And like, what is something even going to do with a thousand stickers? That is so many stickers. They go on stage and then they come out to do an encore and Tom, the lead singer, had stripped naked, covered himself in anti-establishment stickers because they were under contract by Hurley. So they couldn't wear any other clothes on stage. So they got all these t-shirts from us for free. They were just blowing up and getting famous and they couldn't wear our clothes because they had a contract with Hurley. Hmm. So he gets on stage naked with stickers all over him, my stickers. Then he takes the other 500 stickers and throws them into the like mosh pit area, the, the front of the crowd. And the Hot Topic buyers are in the crowd. Mm -hmm. 
So they pick it up. And I was honest to God, I was the first person that I know of that put in the lower right-hand corner, a tagline on a sticker that said your domain name on it. So it said anti-establishment.com and the two buyers, the two lead buyers looked at each other and are like, Mm-hmm. We need to be carrying this in Hot Topic. Mm. And then like two months later, the guys from System of a Down showed up on the cover of Guitar World wearing our t-shirts. We did not pay them. We didn't even give them free t-shirts. I didn't even know them at all. Yeah, They just like bought our t-shirts somewhere from some store we were selling in. Yeah. And then the guys from Live did the same thing. Like all these huge, huge bands just started wearing our t-shirts because we were in all the stores that they were seeing around the country. And we didn't have to pay anything for it. <laughs> like, wow. Yes, and that was on a Friday, and then that Monday, Hot Topic placed their first order with us. Incredible. Four sixty grand. Ah, uh, yeah, it was something like that. It was big. It wasn't that big because it was a test order. So the way that it works with a chain store, which is good for anyone that's listening that wants to start a product company, is they do a test order, which is usually ten percent of whatever the normal full store buy would be. So in their case, they were buying six hundred shirts, right? Yeah. And a full store buy back then was about like six or eight thousand shirts. So if those 600 shirts sold through at a certain percentage per week, then they would do what's called a full order and they would order 6,000 of them. And then if those 6,000 sold, then they would order 6,000 more, 6,000 more, 6,000 more for as long as the t-shirts kept selling. So unfortunately, they didn't sell. They tried three designs. Those three designs didn't sell. I said, well, let's try three more because it could have just been those three because one section of the chain store bought the t-shirts, another section of the chain store, a different buyer bought a bunch of our stickers and our stickers were killing it, but our t-shirts weren't selling. So they're like, well, it's probably just the wrong designs. They tried three more. Those didn't sell either. So I begged and begged and begged my buyers who I had a good relationship with by that point to let me choose the three. And then I chose the three that were like our best sellers and those didn't sell either. (laughs) Oh my goodness. The, The buyer, this guy, Scott Morton, who I am still good friends with, would not even call me. He wouldn't get on the phone with me because he, he was like, told me years later, he's like, yeah, you would have just talked to me into buying more t-shirts and they weren't selling. And the buyers get bonused based on what sells, based on purchasing things that sell well. And so he made his assistant call me, this guy, Isaac, 21 year old kid. I am like a smoking hot 23 year old girl at this point, but I didn't have any, I didn't have any idea that I was smoking hot, but I was. And so this poor kid, has to call me up and tell me that they're not going to buy from me anymore. And um, they wouldn't actually have, have even called me, but I was so persistent about calling back and emailing them and stuff. And <laughs> so he's on the phone. I start crying. So professional. Like I totally start crying. And it's the ugly cry. Like I can't even pretend that I'm not crying. Mm. So he's like, oh my God, Andrea. And I said, I'm going to have to go back to escrow. Like, cause I was an escrow officer, except for what I didn't learn until years later is he thought I said, I'm going to have to go back and be an escort. (laughs) So he goes, I'm not, I'm not. So he goes, oh my God, Andrea, no, 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 no. Just go into the store, look around, see what's selling, whatever's on the end cap, that's what's selling best. Look on our website, whatever t-shirts come up first, if there's an algorithm, whatever's selling best comes up first, then design shirts more like that. Your shirts are too serious. They need to be more funny. What sells for us is stuff that's more funny. Mm I am like sniffling on the phone and I'm like, okay, I actually started this new company. It's called Delinquent Distribution. I'm going to send you 80 designs in six weeks. I had done no such thing. I started Delinquent Distribution on the spot in that moment. Wow. And I, most people won't even understand this, but I didn't even hang up the receiver. I just pushed down, mm-hmm. picked back up, called my biggest competitor who did not sell the Hot Topic, offered him 50% of the profits, which is crazy. 
if he would give me his licensing rights, he agreed. Then I immediately called seven other, that same day, like within the next two hours, I called seven other clothing companies in San Diego and LA and said, hey, I own Delinquent Distribution. I want to own your sales rights. I own the sales rights on the anti-establishment clothing on American activities. And then every different person that said yes, like Seedless Clothing, which is still a big clothing line, I owned their licensing rights. Every single person that said yes, I would just like tack it on to, I own this and this and this and this. And every person that I talked to, every company owner I talked to said yes. And I, and I gave them 25% of the profit, which is a more normal licensing agreement. Yeah. And then like by the end of that day, I owned a licensing company. <laughs> <laughs> so then I sent out, I, I made a catalog in that six weeks, like a little three ring binder with all the designs that I had. And I sent it to Hot Topic and to another chain store called Mr. Rags. Yeah. And Scott, who was the Hot Topic buyer, had moved over to Mr. Rags. And another buyer who was also a friend of mine at Hot Topic, Ed, who is now like a senior vice president over there, I, he got my Hot Topic stuff. And Scott moved to Mr. Rags and told his assistant, buy everything she shows you. Every, she's, our, she's my favorite vendor. <laughs> so within, oh. yes, within three months of that sad, tragic phone call, I had started Zelinquid Distribution. And in the first three months, we did a million dollars in profit in three months not in sales in profit oh my god in three months in three mm -hmm. months profit okay about three minutes ago i was gonna say you're a ninja you're a superhero Sometimes. you're like superwoman <laughs> because you, because you made those calls right after and you arranged deals mm -hmm. right after with your competitors to license their products and then sell it back to your other customer. Yes, it was, it was a really divinely inspired moment. And it was, it was like, I didn't go to college. I started my first company when I was 18. I knew that I was super smart, but I also knew I didn't have much to fall back on. And so if this didn't work out, this whole entrepreneurial thing, I was literally going to be an escrow officer for the rest of my life. And like, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, it, that would not go well for me. You, that's total ninja. Like you didn't even blink. You just kept the phone on your ear and then just started dialing. Yeah. That's like corporate work in, in finance, you know, and he heard escort. He did. And so those, they sound quite similar. They do, but there's one, one or two consonants that are different, which kind of saved your ass and like gave you a second chance, but then you did something about it. And then you did a million in profit in three months. Yes. Because back then, so it doesn't work this way anymore. But back then, I could get a t-shirt fully produced. Like the margins are, have been corrected from this time. But I could get a t-shirt fully produced out the door for anywhere between $1.80 and $2.20 finished. And then I was selling them for $7.85. Mm. You do the math on okay. that. So, and there was some extra additional like shipping, like whatever. We would pay half of shipping and yeah. uh, et cetera. Like there were different ancillary costs. But not, not when you're doing volume, it, there weren't that many. Right. And so it was, it was like, even if you said it's $3 a t-shirt, that's still $4.85 profit per t-shirt. And then they kept scaling and growing when I was selling to them. So nowadays, if you sell a t-shirt to Hot Topic, it would be between $60,000 and $75,000 per, like per style because they have so many locations. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal. So how old are you at this time? 24. And where do you think, looking back, you got your ninja-ness? Where did that come from? This super ability to be super resourceful and not let anything stop you and just keep going? I have been thinking about that a lot lately, and I don't know. I literally don't know. I, I, I feel like I was 
braver and more fearless then than I am now. And I always am wanting to tap back into that. Mm -hmm. But I also had nothing to lose. I think that's like a little bit different. Abraham actually said to me once in the hot seat, it's like there are rungs upon the ladder and you feel like if you slip back from them, that it's shameful in some way. And back then I, I had plenty of money to live. My total that I paid myself was what I needed, which was $13,000 a year, because that's what I needed. <laughs> and, like, I had this gorgeous little two bedroom cottage in Pacific Beach in San Diego, it was $700 a month. Like that same place these days would be way more. Um, it would be like whatever, $2,400 a month. Um, and then I didn't, I just like groceries and I'd worked every day. So I wasn't like, I wasn't spending money on anything. <laughs> so, and I owned my car outright. like. I just didn't need any cash. So mm-hmm. I, I probably paid myself more like 20,000 a year because I would just take money whenever I needed it. But so there was no pressure yeah. to do well. And I think that that was a really big deal. I think it's a lot, I think it's harder mentally for people when you have to do well. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like status and all that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So now you have like the whole something to lose maybe. And back then you didn't. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. www.whatsmyrefund.com whatsmyrefund.com is a website that will bring you to a tax recovery service for Canadians. This is a fantastic company that I've used over the years and I think it's a brilliant resource. I just have to share it with you. Did you know that there are over $2 billion that the Canadian government knows they owe to Canadian citizens? This is a tax recovery service that will go through 10 years of your taxes for you on your behalf using a brilliant algorithm that they've created, which will quickly and instantly recognize in a short period of time if you have money that's owing to you from the government. They charge nothing upfront. If they find anything, their fee is 33% of whatever they recover. It takes two minutes to fill out the application online, and you'll know within a short period of time if you'll be getting a refund. I myself personally have received over $3,000 from a refund, and this is after my father and I completed our taxes together. Oh, and by the way, my dad was a bank manager, and he completed taxes for people on the regular. Much love, Dad. Thank you so much. But this service is dedicated to your tax recovery. Go to www.whatsmyrefund.com. How did you get into Abraham Hicks and and when did you get into Abraham Hicks and and this whole spiritual manifesting success and just? Well, I had been reading every spiritual book like that ever was written. (laughs) So once because my dad died, they also had given me books when I was younger. And my parents sort of were tiptoeing towards that. Like they gave me The Artist's Way by um, Julia Cameron when I was 16 years old. They gave me Tony Robbins' Unleash the Giant Within when I was like 12, 11, 12. And they gave me Donald Trump's book, The Art of the Deal, when I was 12. They were like, this is what it means to be successful in America. So they always were encouraging me to like feel unlimited in my life, which was amazing. Like that's an amazing thing to grow up with. Uh, But then really when my dad died, I started reading, I read like the Tibetan book of living and dying. And then I had seen Gary Zukav um, when he was on Oprah all the time. I saw one episode of him on Oprah, bought his book. And then I started reading like Eckhart Tolle and all of these other authors. So I came up with this concept to do this, this company where I did websites because I would go to their websites and it was like the worst thing that was ever produced on the internet. So then I created this company 
that did websites for best-selling spiritual authors. And it did really well. Like we were on Oprah for a whole hour. Alignment and all And that she personally endorsed one of our websites because she was really good friends with Gary Zukav. And so the people that had originally done The Secret figured out that co- I didn't advertise that company anywhere, but they figured out who I was and that company. So they sent me like 10 advanced copies of The Secret mm-hmm. and asked me to help make it go viral. And I did not end up working with them, which they completely did fine on their own. But I watched The Secret a couple of times, like before it even was released to the public. And the person I resonated with the most was Esther Hicks. And I actually have told her this personally. I was so thankful for the way that it was presented in The Secret because I never would have, I was so against anything that was like channeled or it would be too woo-woo for me. And so I was really happy that I found it through The Secret because by the time like I bought a bunch of Abraham CDs and started listening to him, it was too late. Like I just liked everything that she said. Amazing. So you get on, you mm-hmm. get this advanced copy of The Secret and then the first person you resonate with most is Esther Hicks. And then you're like, you're hooked in, you get the books, the CDs, their audios, everything they got. Yes. So I immediately like just went on Amazon and ordered, they had this five pack starter CD series. And I was driving to Ashland, Oregon, because I was on Gary Zukov's board of directors. I was like going up there for a meeting and I was meeting my mom up there and I had bought Asking It Is Given and I started reading it and I somehow flipped through and found the writing exercises at the back and I journal every day I have for years and years and years. So I loved that and I'm reading it like in the hotel rooms at night and I'm listening every single day. I listened to all five CDs and I call my mom who's meeting me in Ashland and I say, oh my God, I have a book for you. She's like, oh, I have a book for you because I had bought an extra copy for her. She had also bought an extra copy for me of Asking It Is Given. So we get there to trade books, which we traded books all the time. And it's the same book. No way. Mm-hmm. So we discovered Abraham at the same time, exactly the same time. That's extraordinary. A huge fan. We've gone on a ton of the cruises together and gone to a ton of events together. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. My best friend and his whole family and me and my whole family all went on a joint family reunion last year to the Caribbean cruise. And we're going to do one again next year. Wow. Mm-hmm. You did family reunions with your families on the, on the cruises. Yes. And my best friend is a total crazy, badass entrepreneur, super uber successful guy. Um, and we had known each other for like five years and been like best friends for five years before it ever even came up that we both listened to Abraham. And, that, and his whole family is super, super, super into Abraham. And so is mine. The parallels are insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all just like crazy. That's how it works, right? It's all just good manifestation. Live a good life. Good things happen. So what is Abraham to you? Like some of our listeners have no idea what this is we're talking about and going on about. What is it to you and how does it work? Well, I have instructions, first of all, for the listeners who don't know what we're talking about. Go on YouTube, type in Esther Hicks and any word. So Esther Hicks business, Esther Hicks relationship, Esther Hicks divorce, Esther Hicks uh, money, any word. Esther Hicks and any word after that, and then you'll hear their videos. But if you're an entrepreneur, a thousand percent, you should be listening on YouTube to business clips by Esther Hicks. And what Abraham actually is, is I I hate the description of it of like channeling because I'm not into that, but that is what it is. It's, It's Esther Hicks channeling like the highest version of her knowledge. And it's brilliant. And her advice is brilliant. Her thoughts are brilliant. And people go to these seminars and ask any question they want in what's called the hot seat. She answers. And her answers are brilliant. 
Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. And I resonate with that, especially because having been an entrepreneur myself for seven years now, I really started getting into it after a couple of years of being an entrepreneur. And it's so deep and it makes sense on so many levels. And it takes it takes layers and it takes time because mm-hmm. you could re-listen to one message and get so much out of it six months, three weeks, a year later, whenever. For myself, my entrepreneurial journey got easier when I started to really learn and really take on the information on a daily basis about two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so also for your listeners that don't have any idea what we're talking about, Esther is the person who coined the term law of attraction. And this, in its simplest form, it's that whatever you focus on is going to expand. And so for entrepreneurs in general, While they think that they're thinking about growing a successful business and making a lot of money, what dominantly most people are thinking about is that they're worried about the amount of money that their company is making or they're worried about how they're going to do the next piece of their business. Mm -hmm. So they're actually attracting the opposite end of the stick, which is more things to be worried about. Whereas if you just focus strictly on what you want to create in the world and why you want to create it, Mm -hmm. then it's going to go way better for you. (laughs) What do you dominantly think about and focus on? It depends on the day. Sometimes it is worry. And then I know that nothing's going to go my way when that's the case. So I, that's actually one of the reasons that I own so many businesses is that that way I can flit around between them. And then whichever ones are really going well and gaining momentum and catching traction, I can focus my attention on those ones. Okay. I got that. Mm-hmm. On a good day, what are you thinking about predominantly? On a good day, my usual day, I wake up and hike my dogs and just enjoy nature for about an hour or so. And then I just, uh, I do a process that actually um, Esther taught me called the Swiss cheese process, where I take a huge board, a huge whiteboard, and I put every single thing that I need to do for any of my companies on that board. And I draw a circle around them. So it looks like a piece of Swiss cheese. That's why it's called the Swiss cheese process. And then I come back and I think, which one do I want to work on right now? Like what feels like the best thing for me to do for my company? Because I have so many things that need to be done for so many of my businesses and it legitimately doesn't matter which one I actually do next. Uh, And then whatever that task is, then I just do that. That's a very interesting statement. Mm -hmm. First of all, you made several very interesting statements. One, you said, I do whatever I feel like. Mm-hmm. And so many of the people out there tell you not to do your feelings, do what needs to be done, do your strategy, do your tactical, do what's important, stuff like that. So you said do what feels right or feels good. And then secondly, you said, <laughs> I have so many businesses and things going on that none of them will matter. It won't matter which one I do. Can you explain that more? I can. And so I should clarify that everything that's on the Swiss cheese board already is something that I tactically, strategically must do for my companies. So it might be like writing an email campaign for teacher or whatever, sending out a mailer for sticker junkie, like everything that I have to do does build into my larger strategy. But I have to do all of those things. Like if I want to sell courses to people on how to sell t-shirt companies, then I need to have a marketing campaign for them. So it doesn't matter what order I do them in because I have to do them all anyways in order to run the businesses. And you, and I'm guessing you've got your business set up so that you're only doing the most important things. You have other people that you've outsourced or hired that are doing the other things. Yes, I have a rule that I only do one of three things. I do things that are going to make my company a lot of money. I do things that I love to do, or I do things that I must do myself. So if, the, if there's a client call with like where we're going to do like I've been reaching out to SpaceX to get their sales rights on their merchandise. I do that. I'm not going to have one of my employees try and get in touch with the right person at SpaceX. 
or if it's a strategic partnership for Power Chick Mafia and I'm trying to get one of the women on my podcast, I, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to have an assistant do that in the beginning because it's because I'm reaching out to people that I have personal relationships with who are women that you know run hundred million dollar companies. That's that's I do that, and it's one of those three things. <laughs> My mentor gave me the best advice that I've ever gotten from anyone in my life ever, which is put a dollar figure on your time. When I started out, my dollar figure was $20 an hour, which was a whopping figure for me at the time. And anything that you can hire somebody for less than that dollar figure to do, hire them and have them do it. And at the time, I was so young at the time that I still was doing really rudimentary things that I didn't need to be doing myself that I literally could have paid somebody $12 an hour to do. Uh, so I sourced that out. And then while that was with my first employee, and then while that first employee was there, I said, I'm going to be doing sales calls this whole time. And that was that first year with anti-establishment. This is probably the biggest key of how I went from 150,000 in sales because I was doing everything when I started anti-establishment. So like uh-huh. I was packing the boxes, I was shipping the orders, I was doing everything in the beginning, of course. And then the first day I had somebody come in and work for four hours, I made sales calls the whole time. And I made like $600 in sales during those four hours. And I was paying her like $12 an hour. So I was like, okay, you're full time starting tomorrow. And all I'm going to do is make sales. Good for you. So if you're a starting out entrepreneur, especially if you're in the beginning, make money first. That is the biggest, biggest, biggest rule. I see so many people doing stuff first that is not going to make their like, I see all the legal stuff set up. I'm like, you're probably not even going to run that company. Like it's probably not going to end up being the name. You do not have to do that first. You have to like get into commerce and sell product first. <laughs> I love how you just shoot down their objection of like, I need to do the legal to like, you're probably not even going to run that company in three months. It's probably not even going to be a company in three months. No, you're probably going to come up with a different name. And then you're like, I have to do the legal for the other name. And then all of this stuff. And, and you're protected if you're the first person in commerce anyway. So it's not the first thing that you have to do. Like, just go make money. Just produce a t-shirt, put it online, see if it sells, see if somebody opens their wallet and pays for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. Okay. Question about all the businesses you are running. I counted like four or five when we you know, started. Why are you doing all these different businesses? And, and how, is that, how is that possible? And a stupid question, wouldn't it be better to just run one? Right. I have a really, really strong support staff. And so I have people that I can delegate stuff to. And so what I usually do is I'm dominantly focused on one. I get it up and running. I pass off all of the daily activities of that company to somebody else. And then I start the next one. And that's why I have so many. And then I tuck in and out of them. So like, so I've owned Sticker Junkie for 20 years. Last year, I went to the Sticker Junkie office twice. It's in San Diego. Literally for like two days each time. And I stayed for a half day of those two days. And I have the best staff. And so I don't need to physically go there and do much. But I still directionally will run the marketing campaigns from wherever I am. So I think that that's the key is that you go set it up, get it running, what you're wanting to do as an entrepreneur is create things, or what I am wanting to do, everyone has different goals, is to create things that are press and play. So I have a lot of people that build, like a lot of friends that build stuff and want to flip it. And that's great too. But I prefer to just create long-term companies that generate revenue. Mm-hmm. That's your focus and you, you do that intentionally? Mm-hmm. Your focus is to build something long-term and hand it off to someone else? Yes. Yes. 
And then I have one company right now that I'm building that I'm certain that I'm going to sell, but like, it's fine if I sell it or it's fine if I hang on to it. But in general, I just hang on to companies because it's, I I laugh. It's like a gender thing, I think, because men are more hunters and women are more gatherers. Mm -hmm. So most of the men that I know in business create really large companies and get tons of venture capital backing and then sell them for like a gazillion dollars or it fails one or the other. There's two options there. And most of the women that I know, like 90% of the women that I know create companies that just actually, and most of the companies that sell in BC for huge dollar amounts are not profitable. (laughs) When they sell, they just have a large user base. Like there's all sorts of reasons that they're selling for a large amount of money. But most of the women that I know just run profitable companies. So that would be like gathering and nesting versus hunting and getting the big kill. And so I'm just, I'm just like a gatherer and a nester. (laughs) And I just build these companies that generate revenue and that have a steady stream of income coming in. It also depends on what type of company you're doing, because in general, I have product companies, CPGs, consumer product goods. They yes. don't have huge acquisitions like tech companies do. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So with does this make you a quick start? Do you know your Colby? Have you done like a Colby personality? No, see? No. Oh, I think I have. I've done so many tests. I, I feel like I have done that one, and I can't remember it. Okay. One of the podcasts I was listening to on one of the other ones, mm-hmm. all the different things that you'd started and then left to other people to, to do and execute and kind of maintain. Mm-hmm. I thought she's got to be a quick start. Quick start is one of the four things in the Colby assessment. Well, if you think that I am, then I am. You, I, you very well could be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> yes. Does money really come from feeling good? It does. How so? Well, I mean, even if you put it into terms of someone that doesn't believe in law of attraction, it's like most of my business partners have no idea what Abraham is. They don't, we don't talk about this. Like they would think I was crazy, which is totally fine. But even if you just put it in a rudimentary level, if you're high and happy and feeling really good, people want to work with you. And if you're just in a shitty mood all the time, they don't. And so (laughs) if you're just feeling good and feeling happy more good ideas are going to come to you. More people are going to want to come and play with you. You're going to have better ideas if you're in a good mood. If you're spending your day feeling really excited and eager, way more good ideas are going to come to you. Like Regardless of whether somebody listens to Abraham or believes in the law of attraction or not, that's just true. Like you see people that are just in a shitty mood all the time and they're just only talking about the like the really bad thing that happened or the, the vendor that overcharged them or whatever. And I'm like, welcome to your next vendor experience. Have at it. Tell me another story like that next week because mm-hmm. it's going to happen again. Yeah, same bad time, same bad channel. That's right. That's Or the people that focus on the one or two customers that are out of place. I mean, we sell hundreds of millions of stickers. So it's not that we certainly don't have complaints on Sticker Junkie of like the one or two customers that are out of place. And our policy is just fix it. I don't even want to hear about it. I just tell my customer service people, just fix it. Just fix it. Just give them whatever they want. Because I don't want to put my attention there. I would way rather put my attention on like thousands and thousands of customers that are happy. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you give them a positive experience and they'll come back and buy again, potentially. Or they'll tell someone else, you know what? Even though it didn't work out, I got what I wanted or I got treated very well. That's exactly right. Amazing. So it's actually very practical. You know, happy people want to be around happy people. It really is true. And if you give people a really great, really good feeling customer service experience, and if you just are a good person, I love this story because it's a true story and it's an exemplification of how when you're just good to be around, good things come. 
So I've been selling to Hot Topic. I, I've had other very, very big clients also, but Hot Topic is like my favorite because they're the coolest. They're the best run company. Their company offices feel amazing. Their staff is like family. I tried to recruit somebody away from Hot Topic. I offered her double her amount of pay. And she obviously thought about it. She wouldn't leave. She's like, I can't leave here. It's the best place to work for, for double the amount of money. But I get it because it is. It's so good. Such a good feeling business. It's one of my favorite uh, corporations in the country. Every time I would go in there for meetings, (laughs) I would bring a big plate of cookies or pastries or brownies or whatever. And I would cut it up into bite-sized things. So like every single buyer from every single buying department would want to come into my meeting when I was in there. Even if I didn't sell their category, like jewelry or something, I never really sold jewelry, they would still pop into my meetings and say hi. So I knew all of the buyers from all of the different places just because I brought cookies. Nice, really good gourmet cookies from a different place each time in like in San Diego or LA. I became known as the cookie girl. So I signed my, I had my signature on my emails. Andrea Lake Delinquent Distribution, aka the cookie, or something like the big boss at Delinquent Distribution, aka the cookie girl. <laughs> so then when Christmas, all of the Christmas buying usually gets done, like in your landing your orders for Christmas, like in October, so they have time to get distributed to the stores before Black Friday. So all of the Christmas buying actually gets done like in August for a big chain store, for any big chain store, uh, or even earlier in the year than that, so that there's time to create the stuff. Well, with t-shirts, we can do really fast last minute turnaround time. So <laughs> All of a sudden, one of our buyers had 150000 extra dollars in his budget. Wow. And you have to spend your budget that month because you have to stock merchandise, whatever. So he called me and said, I have $150,000. Just send me like whatever you want, basically. Tell me what you want. I'll write a purchase order for it. And I was like, amazing. And this is back when I was selling the t-shirts for seven eighty-five. So this is like a hundred grand that this guy is just like giving me basically. Mm. So I'm like, amazing. That's so great. And we're talking and we're laughing. And I said, uh, just wait a minute for one second, really quick, Ed you have a lot of vendors. Why are you giving me this budget? I'm just curious. And he was like, because you bring me cookies. Wow. I know. It's so easy to stand out because so many people don't do anything extra over what they're expected to do. So when you over deliver in the way where you just do like some nice thing, that $40 tray of cookies got me a $150,000 extra order. Oh, wow. And also they, they would take meetings with me anytime, even if they didn't have budget to buy from me, even no matter what, because they knew they were going to get snacks. <laughs> yeah. So you just walk in there with cookies or you just set the meeting and they know you're coming in with cookies. That's right. A massive, massive tray of cookies every single time uh, and cookies. And sometimes it would be like cut fruit and brownies. It would be all kinds of different stuff. I actually was sitting in the lobby once and there were these guys there with like racks of clothes and they just looked over at me with their cookies. And the guy had this look on his face. Yeah. And I was like, I just looked at him and I went, yeah, you should have thought of that. And then I got in and walked in. <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe you would ever show up to a meeting empty handed. But he, he was like mind blown. And this, it was a company that does like tens of millions of dollars in sales with them. I'm like, why would you ever show up to any meeting empty handed? That's a silly, silly thing to do. Wow. Without cookies. Lesson learned. Mm -hmm. Cookies always in hand. Gifting really is a superpower. I mean, it really is. Like any way that you can stand out above your competition with anti-establishment clothing, we're selling to head shops. And so usually, this is a trick that I teach in my teacher course, which has two E's. So any of you that want to start a t-shirt company, it's T-E-E-A-C-H-E-R.com. And it's myself and my business partner who started Tap Out Clothing, which did hundreds of millions of dollars in annual sales. When you sell to a store or even online, send an extra gift in with the t-shirt 
or with whatever kind of product you're selling. So, so free stickers, maybe a free pin, and definitely like a piece of hard candy, like some kind of piece of candy, <laughs> because people love it. So we would send truffles to with all of every single order to head shops, these really, really nice truffles by Vosch chocolate. And so these people that worked, they didn't usually own the store, they're making 10 bucks an hour, all of a sudden, they're getting this $10 truffles that they would never go buy for themselves. So when they had extra budget, they would buy from us. And when people would come in the store to just talk to the counter clerk who just ate like this ridiculously delicious truffle, do you think they're going to like push Hurley or push my stuff? Because they personally liked us. Also, another thing that we would do is we would gift wrap a t-shirt that was separate from the order and write down the name of it to the person who bought the t-shirt. So they would get a free t-shirt. Yeah. No way. Yeah, because that way they they put that into their wardrobe and then they're actually wearing our merchandise. (laughs) Plus they feel great because they're like, oh, this is a little gift from Andrea. She she personally, from anti-establishment, she gave me this. So you think gifting is a superpower? It is. It makes people profoundly loyal. I don't just think that. It's one of the sales techniques called reciprocity, which is one. You got it. Yeah, which is one of the biggest triggers that you. That's why. That's why whenever people would come to your booth, if you can't them a free sticker and give them something for free, that reciprocity trigger within us. If someone gives us something, we want to give them something back in return. It's the way that we're wired. You're right. Yes. Yeah. You know what's amazing is I think this is like the 16th or 15th episode we've done, and you're the first to mention. Robert Cialdini's Seven Factors of Influence. And so you must know this and live this stuff actually every day. I do. That's the thing about a lot of business books. Like they're accurate, you know? Like, wow, go figure. And especially, especially with um, any type of sales strategy, like strategic sales stuff, especially strategic sales psychology works. I mean, it does work. There's, a, there's been hundreds of millions of dollars of analysis on what actually causes people to buy things. And if you have a company, then you should read what actually causes people to buy stuff <laughs> because it's true. <laughs> yeah. Go figure. It works. Go figure. Yeah. Right? I recommend books all the time to people. And I think a tiny, tiny fraction of people actually look them up and buy them and read them. Yes. It's kind of sad. Well, there's a reason why it's it's so funny because a lot of people get caught in, especially lately these days in like conspiracy theory type of things. But when I first met my mentor, he told me, I said, are there really a group? Because he's a multi-billionaire. I said, are there really a group of people that run the world? And he said, it's funny, like people think that there are, and they are right. There is a group of people that run the world, except for that anybody can join that group. There's probably like 20,000 or 30,000 or however many, more than that, probably like 200,000 people that run the world. And all you have to do is like become really self-educated, make a lot of money, wield influence through politics. Or there's another category, which is far less common, which would be more like a Mother Teresa or Gandhi. But for our purposes of entrepreneurship, if you just become a successful entrepreneur and you make a lot of money, then you get into the right rooms. And when you're in the right rooms, Mm. you can wield a tremendous amount of influence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad he simplified it that way. Yeah. Now, this is that mysterious mentor that I'm so glad you honor him and leave him nameless. I do, yes. I've, I've heard many episodes where you refer to him, other podcasts, and you've never said his name, which is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gave you a book, a, a set of books to read, right? A list of books to read. And I heard one episode where you named them, or it was on like available on a website. We'll find it. We'll make it available to the listeners. Mm-hmm. So, so am I correct in, in saying that he, before he took you on, he said, read these books first? Yes. So this man is 
he's one of the reasons why I've kept myself super private. Like it's a little bit weird that I have been mostly super private in my life for the amount of volume of companies that I've touched and businesses that I've owned. But he is an exceedingly, exceedingly private multi-billionaire. And I had one person on one podcast that he did say, well, he has to be one of the billionaires that's on XYZ list. And I, I didn't say this on that podcast, but I'll make it clear. He is not on any list. You must actually allow yourself to be on those lists. So if you see a list in Fortune or whatever, those people have consented to being on the list. You can be a billionaire and be completely unknown in private, which this person is, which is why I never name him. But he was known at the time, he had a, a big company, a hedge fund that he was known for, and he had dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people asking him to mentor them. And for all of those people, he actually had it on his website at the time. There was a list of 14 books and he would say, go read these books and get back to me. So I, through a crazy long story that we won't get into, he ran across me. I didn't run across him. And he said, I have this list of 14 books. If you read them in the next six weeks, I will have a phone call with you about your company. And I was like, okay. So I was like blown away because this guy has had $100 million exits, multiple different verticals, billion dollar exits. I mean, he's like the most amazing business person on the planet. And so I was like, what? Yes. So I went on Amazon. This was in like 2002 or something. I order all 14 books. I read them in like three or four weeks, like as fast as I can. And I'm like highlighting and making notes and whatever. And halfway through, he calls me, he said, are you doing it? Which was surprising that he even called. And I said, yes. And he starts quizzing me on all the books that I've read. And I'm giving like very detailed answers. He's like, good, tell me when you're finished. So then I finished all the books. And I was like, I was so in. So then he had a talk with me about business. And I was so intrigued. And then uh -huh. he, I think he gave me even more homework to do. And then I did whatever he said to do. And I called him back like immediately. And he said, of all of the people who have reached out to me and asked for me to mentor them, None of them have ever done, read the 14 books in six weeks. And I was like, what? What? And he said, the only person that I knew that I wanted to mentor, like banged it out of the park. And it's the same thing that I have done in my whole life of people wanting to mentor me and only, or wanting me to mentor them. And only two people have read the list of books. Wow. One of them ended up becoming my business partner. And just a phenomenally successful business person, Travis Steffen. And the other one are these girls that own Catch Samir, which is a clothing, up and coming clothing line. And because I'm always like, if you're not going to put the time and effort and attention into your own life and your own business and your own progress, then why am I going to help you? That's ridiculous. I've had so many people like ask me for help. And I'm like, you've got to jump through every hoop to prove to, like, yeah, to prove to me that you actually want this. Yeah. Even, even something as simple as t-shirt company owners that I, Dan and I wrote a book, Dan, my business partner who started Tap Out Clothing, we wrote a book called Build, uh, Build Your T-Shirt Empire. And we've had people that ask us for advice on how to start a t-shirt company. I'm like, okay, we'll read the book first, obviously, because we wrote a book that tells you how to do it. Yeah. And like, I'm not even kidding you, 90% of them do not buy the book and read it. And I'm like, what? Like, that's insane. Oh my goodness. Like, if you won't read one book, then I, I got nothing for you. Yeah, I, no, exactly. It's crazy. I mean, we, we don't need to get into like why people don't read books and all that stuff. We, we know why. Just That's just kind of, you know, the world we're in with the attention spans and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Microsoft mm -hmm. apparently did a study, by the way, and they officially said like last year, uh, the average human has less than the attention of a goldfish now. I'm completely unsurprised. Yeah. I heard on one of the episodes that you just like to fantasize about things that would be happened that would be fun. 
not as like a strategy, not like a visualization tool or tactic. Do you still do that? And how do you think it helps? Every single day. I do visualization exercises. I actually have, this is exactly my morning routine. I hike my dogs for like one to two hours and then I meditate for 15 minutes. Then I do this exercise that I call seven, seven times three. So seven semicolon seven X three. And it's seven minutes, seven seconds of appreciation, seven minutes, seven seconds of visualization and seven minutes, seven seconds of scripting. And what you're talking about is visualization exercises. And it is actually a visualization exercise, except for that most people get visualization wrong. Mm -hmm. They want to visualize about something that's currently happening in their life, and it's too hard for them. <laughs> so they're trying to, it's the analogy that Esther Hicks talks about all the time, like they're trying to fix the leaky pipe in their visualization. So a really quick real world example for your listeners would be if you are having a really difficult time with your spouse or with an employee or with someone, uh -huh. don't even bring them into the visualization because you're going to try and correct their behavior within your visualization in a way that's going to make your visualization suck. <laughs> so yeah. instead, yeah. if I was having like, maybe my sale, let's take a real world example. My sales were really low in my company for one of my companies. So let's say that the sales were $10,000 a day and I was wanting them to be $100,000 a day. Because who doesn't want that? Uh -huh. So most people would try and visualize what it's like to have $100,000 a day sales, except for that doesn't feel possible when you're doing $10,000 a day. Or we can put it in easier terms. Let's say it's $1,000 a day and you want to do $10,000 a day. That's more palatable for most people. Uh -huh. Most people can't imagine what it's like to have $10,000 a day. So it feels hard. And like if you try to visualize about that and what your company looks like at doing $10,000 a day, which would be like $3 million a year, that feels too difficult. And so it's not a good tool. But instead, you can think about like getting interviewed on Oprah uh -huh. or selling your company to Google or something that, or like I, one of the ones I use all the time is going to Rancho La Puerta, which is a beautiful resort in Mexico. I'm renting out the whole place for a holiday party. I don't care if I ever actually do that and have like a huge employee party at this particular resort, but it feels really good and really fun to think about. So it is, you're triggering all of the same, and this is why, I'm sorry, I'm skipping over a lot of the why. The why that you should do this is it triggers these abundant receptors in your brain to where you're thinking of something that just feels super abundant, but that you don't have any resistance towards. So it should be something that feels the way that you want it to feel, right? Because if your company is doing 10 or 20 or $30,000 a day in sales, like you're going to have the best retreats, you can do the best stuff because you have all this extra cash. It triggers the feeling that you're wanting to attain without bringing up the resistance of like, well, how do I even get people on my website? How am I going to, like, how am I even going to get the traffic to get sales to do the this? And then how am I going to do the production to do the that? Like, it, it pulls out all of that and only leaves you with a pure feeling. Of yeah. So it is actually a strategy towards business because when you and I both believe that nothing is more important that you, than that you feel good. Uh -huh. So if you use that as a strategy to just feel good, it doesn't really matter what good you're pulling up. Radically amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. And then at the same time, I'm going to be happier on the sales calls or I'm going to have the, like I don't have, right now in my businesses, I don't have to do a lot of outbound marketing. A lot of stuff just comes in. A lot of stuff just happens. Plenty of referrals, testimonials, you know, great experiences, email, stuff like that. That just kind of comes and happens naturally, probably because of my just feeling good. But what are abundant receptors in the brain? I've never heard of that before. Is that an actual thing? I just made it up. Oh, I love it. Okay, great. 
<laughs> but that is that, that is a good way to think of it of like if you're wanting to pull up a feeling of abundance which you should be wanting to pull up all the time because you will attract more dollars when you feel abundant you just do you just get better ideas so if you don't believe in the law of attraction then a lot of this is not going to work out for you <laughs> for the, for your listeners but i am guessing that most of your listeners are exceedingly receptive to the idea that what you put out in the universe comes back to you. So if you're just putting out pure thoughts of abundance, then it's going to make you really receptive to having ideas of abundance that will, you'll be like, oh, maybe I'll just do X, Y, Z. Like maybe we'll just launch whatever it is. Like we're doing some custom sticker store that we're going to put up on Etsy. We've never done that before. Um, but that was a really good idea that I had right after I came out of visualization. So I'm like, oh, that's probably going to work out pretty well. Hmm. Nice. You were not visualizing Etsy store in your visualization. You were just visualizing. That's exactly right. I was just feeling really good. <laughs> yeah. You were talking about like selling your company to Google. Mm -hmm. You were enjoying that. That was feeling really great. Mm -hmm. And then out comes this idea to put another version of your store on Etsy. Exactly. Which is going to be another distribution channel, which is going to give you more sales. Exactly. Phenomenal. Okay. Mm -hmm. I love it. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. So uh, what do you want to say or like share or, or talk? Do you want to plug Power Chick Mafia? I'm kind of curious about that. Power Chick Mafia is coming soon. I actually have to put up a thing to be able to gather people's emails on it, but it's going to be like a coalescing of all of the most powerful women in the world, basically. So there'll be a podcast called Power Chick Mafia. And then, of course, I will be selling systems that I personally use, like a 21-day program of stuff that I personally use in my daily life and business to keep my stuff structured and to kind of kickstart the next project. And also a three-month planner, which I personally use. It's a goal-setting thing that I use every single day of like, what are your wins for the day? What are, you know, it's a whole planning system. And then the other company that I'm really passionate about is Teacher, which we're putting a bunch more effort into. You can check it out on teacher.com with two E's, T-E-E-A-C-H-E-R.com. And if you've ever wanted to start a t-shirt company, like you would be foolish not to read the book and you would be, if you want to start a t-shirt company, you should take the course. Mm -hmm. Awesome. On if you did, let's like let's say you're flat broke right now and you don't want to spend any money, just go on Facebook, look up Teacher with two E's, and follow us on Facebook because my business partners and I do um, once a month we do a live Q and A with our audience, and you can ask us anything for free about how to start a T-shirt company. Wow, amazing! How was the dates of that chosen or announced? On our Facebook. So if you follow us on Facebook, then you'll get an announcement on Facebook, and you'll also get a notification when we go live. Okay, radical, super cool. So the book and the course is available on the website, teacher.com. Yeah. So just join the Facebook group. Phenomenal. It is. Andrea, you've, you've nailed it. We need to listen to this episode two, three times to get all of the gold that you've shared. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I super appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So many great things. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thanks for being on the show. We really appreciate it. I know my audience will love it and will be in touch following you on teacher, going to your website, checking out the books as well. You have a .com as well, andrealake.com, right? I do. It links to all of my companies, andrealake.com. Perfect. Mm -hmm. That's just brilliant. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Speak soon. Okay. Take care. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. I am your host, Michael Santonato. If you liked this show and you want to know more, then check out the businessbrilliancepodcast.com businessbrilliancepodcast.com. Give us some feedback, drop us a line, or if you know a great guest, then let us know. Please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts.
Join us next week when we talk to another great entrepreneur and talk about their business and what makes them brilliant. Do you want to be a guest on the show? Let us know at our website, businessbrilliancepodcast.com. Have a great week and stay brilliant. And subscribe for more great episodes. Thank you.